Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It is encouraging to us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Let me remind each of you that there are uh, prayer request forms that are at the Welcome Center, and we want to encourage you this next week to be sure and pick one of these up and write down things that you would like for this church family to be praying for you over the next several weeks. Uh, traditionally, we have closed out the year with an emphasis on prayer. It's important all year long, but it's wonderful that we can have a time that we really concentrate on praying for each other. And this is an opportunity for us to make our requests known. And so please be sure and pick up one of those and make those requests known. And over uh, the next few weeks, we'll have a prayer day on Saturday, the second Saturday in November. And all of those prayer requests will be prayed then. And then these forms will also be made available for others to be able to pick up and pray for you also. Uh, we've had a wonderful event last night with our little ones, the Trunk or Treat. They had a wonderful time. Their families had a wonderful time. And I understand that 25 visiting families were a part of that. And they too had a wonderful time. Uh, we hope that they will come and visit with us time and time again. Uh, about 100 of our junior high and high school age are on a retreat right now. And let's be praying for their safe return. And I understand that they have had a wonderful retreat thus far. God blesses us richly. Many wonderful opportunities uh, to be served and to serve others. And let's make sure that we reach out and do everything that we can do. Walter went into the doctor's office and the reception greeted him and said, What do you have? He says, I have shingles. And she took down his name and address and all of his medical insurance information. She said, have a seat. About 15 minutes, a nurse aide came out and said, Walter, what do you have? He says, I have shingles. Invited him right inside the door. And as he stepped inside the door, she took his height and his weight and a laundry list of, of medical history. She seated him in a room. About 30 minutes later, a nurse came in and says, Walter, what do you have? He says, I have shingles. She said, well, let's, let's get a blood test and let's take your blood pressure and, and we'll start you on the process. The doctor will be in in just a few minutes. An hour later, the doctor came in and said, Walter, what do you have? He says, I have shingles. Looked around. He said, well, where are they? He says, they're on a truck outside. Where do you want them delivered? <laughs> do you know, that reminds us of the fact that sometimes we can get so wrapped up in a process that we forget the person. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord designed the church, the organization of the church is that there are to be elders and there are to be deacons and there are to be teachers and preachers and, and every faithful member is to find their place to serve. But wouldn't it be a shame if we got so wrapped up in the organization of the church and we got so involved in the concept of, hey, we have these various ministries that we lost sight of the individual that we lost sight of the opportunity to serve individuals. Friends, what does it mean to be a servant? What kind of business is the church in? The church is in the people business. And if we're going to be a servant in the Lord's church, that means we must serve people. What causes a man to serve an aging neighbor, taking them to the doctor, checking on them regularly? What causes a mother to serve a special child for decades? 
What causes a, a man to serve as an elder, giving hours every week, carrying heavy stress and bearing the responsibility, the load of shepherding souls? What would cause a man, oftentimes with a young family, to say, I'll take on the additional responsibility of being a deacon? I'll have the responsibility of a ministry and the responsibility of souls of those involved in that ministry? What would cause them to serve? We sung just a few minutes ago about make me a servant. Have you ever stopped to consider really what makes a servant? The Lord wants every one of His followers to be servants. And there are various passages we can turn to where the Lord teaches us what makes, what creates, what builds servants. We're not born that way. There's no one in this room right now that's a servant of mankind because they're a servant of the Lord because you were just born that way. Well, what makes individual servants? The text that's just been so capably read for us is one of those passages where Paul was writing to the church of Philippi and he says to them, I want to talk to you about servanthood. I want to talk to you about making yourselves servants. In the first five verses, we begin at verse five, but the first four verses before that, he's laying out some guidelines of what he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. And then the text that we read this morning is the illustration. In other words, if God was going to give us an illustration to say, I want to show you a servant, and I want to show you a great act of servanthood, who would he choose and what would they be doing? We've been studying for several weeks now of the glory and agony of the cross. We oftentimes think of Jesus for good reason. When we see him on the cross, we think of King of Kings or Lord of Lord. We think of him as the Messiah, Jehovah. There's good reason why we think of him in all those ways as he's on the cross. But I want to ask you this. When's the last time in your mind's eye you stared at the cross and you said, there's a servant. When Paul wanted to teach us about servanthood, he pointed to the greatest servant that ever lived and described the fact of him coming to this earth to serve us by dying for us. This morning, I hope you can humbly and genuinely say, I want to be a better servant. And you and I have to get our mind around the concept that Jesus was a servant that died on the cross if we're ever to understand the beauty and the significance of servanthood. Look with me, if you will, again at verse 7 and 8 very quickly in Philippians 2. Notice he said, talking of Jesus, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And look at verse 8, skipping down into it. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's how Paul would illustrate servanthood. Well, what is it that makes us servants? Number one, we see the mind of a servant has to be our mind if we're ever to be a servant. Look back again there to verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now I hope you have your Bible open and if you don't and you need a, a Bible in the pew in front of you, it's page 1043. I'd like for us to drop back 
And I'd like for us to look at verse 2, 3, and 4 that's leading to verse 5. Because verse 5 is saying we need to have the mind of Christ. And for several verses here, he's going to speak about what that mind would think about. What it would concentrate on. What it would study and meditate upon to strive to become. Notice the word mind as we read through here. We're going to pick up in verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Now notice, fulfill my joy. The complete package of joy, total satisfaction. What would bring that kind of satisfaction? He says there that we have to have a like-minded. Well, what is that like mind going to be? Let's read on. Having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. Well, we've already read ahead. Remember, we started at verse 5. We know what that one mind is. It's the mind of Christ. And so your mind and my mind, it needs to be on the same unity with the mind of Christ. And that's what fulfills the joy in individuals' lives and in the life of a church family. But now notice what this mind's going to do in three. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. This mind of Christ that all of us are to have is a lowly mind. It's one that esteems others and finds value and worth in others and humbles themselves. Now to say it in another way, look at verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. They have genuine interest in what other people's interests are. What's the concern of your neighbor? What's the concern of your brother and sister in Christ? When you have eyes that are open to see their concern, it's because the humility of the mind is genuinely concerned about the other. This morning, I had to stop and ask myself, do I have the mind of Christ? You know, the mind is the spiritual heart. I can't have the heart of a servant if I'm not thinking like a servant. Jesus thought like a servant. He had interest in our interest. We needed a Savior. He esteemed us so valuable that He was willing to die for us even though we were sinners. Until I have that kind of mind, I can't be the servant God has designed for me to be. But you see, this requires me to literally take on another form. It requires me to take on the form of a bondservant. Look with me, if you will, down to verse 7. In verse 7 he says, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Notice how these two fit together in this verse. No reputation. Took upon himself the form of a servant or a bondservant. What do you think it means when it says that Jesus came with no reputation? He came not seeking to find his identity through man, he came seeking to find his identity through God. You see, if he would have come to seek his identity through man, in other words, to come to have a reputation, he wouldn't have been born and lived in Galilee, or born in Bethlehem, but lived in Galilee. He wouldn't have grown up the son of a carpenter. He wouldn't have been on the wrong side of the tracks for the proper training that could have been offered down in Jerusalem. He wouldn't have been born in a place that many Jews would have said, he's going to be limited in his opportunities in life. 
But you see, He didn't come for all of the earthly reputation. He came for the very thing that you and I can achieve if we live in the United States of America or if we live in a third world country. Friends, get this point. Anybody can take upon themselves the form of a servant. How many of us, if we were thinking about what we want for our children, we would think about the human reputation? Oh, I I would prefer for my children to be born in the United States. Oh, I would just hate it if they were born in a third world country. You see, there they they wouldn't have the opportunities of the education that we have here. They wouldn't have the opportunities to build a career like we would here. Oh, there'd just be so many things that they'll miss out on. What are we trying to build? I'm not suggesting to to you that those things are bad to want. I'm simply asking you, How high is the priority in our lives to not only be servants, but to raise children that are servants? There's nothing wrong with an education. There's nothing wrong with living in a good neighborhood. There's nothing wrong being in a place that offers opportunities to grow and to provide. But friends, that should never be our highest priority. Jesus came and stripped himself of reputation. It literally means to be void of none effect is what it literally means. Why? Because he wanted to take upon himself the form of a bondservant. He genuinely wanted to serve others. You know, when I was in college, there was something I heard several times that really rubbed me the wrong way. It still does to this day. I had individuals that would try to encourage me to be in certain clubs. They were career-oriented clubs. And when I offered to them, either I didn't have time to be involved to the level that I thought I should be if I was going to be in a club, or I simply had no interest in that particular club, I was usually told this. You know, you're going to need that for your resume. And I couldn't believe that godly people were telling me that. You want me to do something half-heartedly that I really have no intentions of really contributing to just so I can put it on a line of paper for reputation's sake? What happened to the genuine people that says, hey, this is who I am. I'm a servant of God. This is what I want to be involved in. And however far that takes me in life, that's who I am. I'm not more than that and I'm not less than that. Friends, it doesn't matter what we can type on a piece of paper. It doesn't matter how many people we impress. When the day is done, the only thing that matters... Have I genuinely served others? Of all the ways Jesus could have come to this earth, of all the families He could have been born into, of all the schools He could have attended, 
all the earthly power he could have had in his hands. Please get this. Don't think from a human secular standpoint. Get this. He chose the highest. He chose to serve. Let's let Jesus illustrate this again. Look, if you will, to Mark the 10th chapter. And Mark the 10th chapter. We're going to actually read in just a moment, 42 through 45. I want to remind you in Mark 10, in verse 35, we have James and John's, they're the sons of Zebedee, their mother coming up. And you remember, this is where she asked Jesus, I'd like for one of my sons to be put on your right hand and one to be put on the left hand. Now, why was she doing that? She wanted reputation. She wanted her sons to have reputation. That was important to her. You see how easy it is for it to creep into the lives of religious people? Where we think that's really what matters? Is is that everybody notices us? Everybody gives us credit? That we're sitting in places of power and prestige? That's what matters? Now, you remember that Jesus offered her, you don't really know what you are asking. And they talked about that some. But remember in 41 what it did? Then when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Let's pause here for just a moment. When elders and deacons and the staff and the church family, when everybody, but especially the leadership, when they have the form of a servant that promotes unity and peace. Anytime someone in that leadership starts to serve others through the desire to have reputation, that always creates friction and division. We can't do church work the way God designed us to serve so that we can get the credit, so that we can be noticed. And here's a perfect example I just want my boys to be noticed. I just want my boys to have a a great place in the kingdom. I want them to be a little higher than everybody else. And it's already creating division among the twelve. And notice Jesus' answer in 42. Jesus called them to himself and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says... You know why you're upset right now? You're upset because a style of leadership has been offered that's just like the Gentile style of leadership. And people don't appreciate that style of leadership and it's not righteous. Let's read on. Yet it shall not be so among you. Real clear. He's talking about what the church is going to be and he says the church isn't going to have that style of leadership. But whosoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Now, pause here for a moment. You see the teaching. You want to be great? You want to make sure that your children are great? You want to be first? You want to make sure that your children, they they have everything offered to them that really matters in life? Serve. And teach them to serve. And brethren, the rest will take care of itself. Now we need an example for that. You always understand something better if you have an illustration. If you have an example. 
Well, let's read the next verse and we have an example. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus says, let me tell you the way it is now. I didn't come to this earth to be served. I find my greatness in serving. And let me give you something prophetic. Now he speaks toward the future. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to serve mankind all the way to the cross. I'm going to give my life for mankind. What a beautiful demonstration of one who has taken upon themselves the form of a servant, the mind of a servant, the form of a servant. You know, I think about a couple that's in this church family that have served one of ours that's been sick going over on a daily basis and bandaging wounds, driving a pretty good distance from their house to her house on a daily basis, making sacrifices that need to be made. No blood relation except through Jesus. Making sure that constant care is offered. Why would anyone do that? Servanthood. It's the mind of Christ. It's the form of a servant. How does that rank? God, can you kind of help us see how important is that kind of thinking? How important is that kind of heart? And he says it's the greatest. He says it's first of all. That's what we need to become. But notice this as we go back to our text. Notice verse 8. In verse 8 he said, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now we see the submission of a servant. And again, it's, it's just like the previous verse where unless we understand no reputation, we can't fully understand the second part. Well, this one, unless we fully understand what it means to be humble, we can't fully appreciate the obedience that it's offered even to the point of death. Jesus would not have obeyed to the point of death if he would not have humbled himself. And that's what we read in verse 2, 3, and 4 earlier. He humbled himself. The previous verse, uh, 6, he was equal with God, but he didn't think it was robbery. But yet he humbled himself to come to this earth. He humbled himself to become a man. He humbled himself to become a servant. He humbled himself to be obedient even to the cross. You remember several weeks ago when we studied about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember how intense that became. What led him from the Garden of Gethsemane to continue through that night? You remember his prayer was about obedience. Not my will, but thy will be done. And so until I have the mind of Christ, the form of Christ, of a servant, I must also have the submission of Christ. 
Say, Lord, I'll humble myself. It's all about you. Now, as we close out this lesson, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. 1 Timothy, the third chapter, we have the qualifications of deacons, and we'll look at those tonight, beginning at verse 8. I'd like for you to notice how this paragraph ends in verse 13. And I'd like for you to see the word serve as we read here. I'd like to remind you that the word deacon means servant, or it comes from the root of servant. And notice in 13, from those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. You think it matters to God whether or not a deacon serves well? When we look through the scriptures, the scriptures always talk about whether or not the service was acceptable or not. You remember the parable of the talents? You remember the one talent man? Remember he was called an unprofitable servant? His service wasn't well. You remember the other two were told, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And here the Lord writes about deacons and He says a great compliment and offers great blessings to those who serve well. God's concerned about it. Because if the leadership of the Lord's church ever starts doing something other than serving, that church will lose its effectiveness. As we think about who we think would serve as great deacons, I want to remind you from Scripture this morning really what is at the heart of serving as a deacon. Now tonight we'll look at these qualifications. They have to be met. But did you notice there back in verse 10, he said, but let those also first be tested, then... Let them serve. What does it mean to be tested? First be tested. Then let them do what? Serve. As we look to the cross, we see the heart of a servant on the cross. And when we see the heart of the servant on the cross, we see one that would help every child of God, but especially the deacons. See what their task is all about. First, let them be tested. Then let them serve. I want to encourage you, if you believe a man has fulfilled the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, that a part of that is that they have already proven themselves to be servants. You've seen them in action. You've seen them serve in the Lord's church. You've seen them serve people in the Lord's church. You've seen them serve people out in the community. That's part of the qualification, the heart of a servant. It's been said that there was a philosopher that wrote some beautiful words about raising children and his love for children, but yet he abandoned his own children. 
Maybe he did love children in an abstract type of way. But you see, what he didn't do was he did not allow that to translate to life. Friends, I'm sure that every man that's a part of this church family, you could ask them, do you love to serve? They say, oh yeah, yeah, love to serve. Question is, has it translated into a life? Only that kind of man could be qualified to be a deacon. Let's be prayerful. The Lord has blessed us richly in the past two years. I would suppose that He's going to bless us richly in the next two years. But to do that, we're going to need some good men that are willing to serve others by serving their Lord. Are you a servant of God? Have you totally submitted your life to God? Have you been shaped and formed by God? Do you have the mind of God? If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd urge you and encourage you to do that this morning. If you're a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess before men. Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, you lost the mind of Christ. You stopped being formed by Christ. You've maybe stopped being submissive to Christ. Wouldn't this morning be a wonderful time to come home? to repent of sins and make your life right with God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.